A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know, Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Elfred. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello, hello, and welcome to Rex Factor reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England from Elswith to Prince Philip. So, Elfrith. Mm. She's born. We don't know exactly when, obviously. Probably sort of around 940 to 945. Okay. So we imagine she's about 20 or so when she becomes consort mm-hmm. to Edgar the Peaceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is the daughter of a chap called Ordgar, who is a thane from the West Country. Is that good, a thane? Yeah, so a thane is sort of one step down from an earldoman. Uh, and her mother is also someone that must have existed. <laughs> <laughs> well... That's conjecture, Graham. <laughs> well, it's true. I am mm. <laughs> assuming there. Uh, now, we don't have a contemporary image for Elthrith, but, of course, we are asking you to send in your hashtag consort cards. Do your own version of the Heritage Limited playing cards, and at the end of the series, we'll have our own pack. We've had some lovely... There's been some corkers. ...ones coming in, some really yeah. beautiful ones. Nevertheless, she's perhaps the first one we're getting a bit of a sense of. Not specifics, but she is famed in quite a few sources for being beautiful. Mm. So no description survives, but she has a couple of husbands and both are said to have fallen in love at first sight. We can assume she is a looker. Now, as we said, her father is quite a prominent individual. We don't know who her mother was, but it's thought that she might have been of some kind of royal blood. Mm. So they're quite a powerful couple Mm. once you put them together. Her first husband is not Edgar the Peaceable. No. But instead a chap called Ethelwold. Not to be confused with the bishop of the same name. Uh, so her, her first husband, a chap called Ethelwald, is the eldest son of a man called Athelstan Halfking. Oh, yeah. We talked about him in the episode for Elfgifu, mm-hmm. consort to Edwick, a very powerful earldom and the most powerful man under Edmund I and Edred. Um, and Ethelwald succeeds his father as the earldman of East Anglia. Mm. So, again, she's marrying one of the most prominent nobles in the country. Mm. Now, Edgar, the peaceable becomes king, 959, and he is about the same age as Ethelwald and uh, Elfrith. He's the younger son of King Edmund I, and he became king in 959 after the kingdom had briefly had a split between Edgar and his brother Edwig. Mm. Uh, And Edgar is also heavily influenced, of course, by a good friend of Athelstan Halfking, Dunstan. And thus Edgar, very much passionate about monastic reform. Oh, good. Right, is that going to pop up? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, lovely. Okay. Now, Edgar himself has already entered the marriage market twice, is in he? fact. Yeah. Last time we did um, <laughs> Ethelfleda Candida Anida. <laughs> oh, and is that his wife? Yeah, and oh. Wolfrith of Wilton, 
who became a nun. Oh, so we've done him twice. And that, right. So from his perspective, he's still pretty young, doesn't have a lot of children heirs at this point. He might be looking for more. Now, his power base had been in Mercia. Right. Yeah. Initially, we yeah. think by his first wife, he was declared king in Mercia mm. when there was that split with the brother. But as we said, Elfrith's family are from the southwest of England. Mm. So by marrying her, he's very much broadening his power base. And of course, he has something of a penchant for beautiful women. Yep. Yeah, that's our Edgar. The problem, of course, is that Elfrith is married to Ethelwald. Mm-hmm. Now, legend has it that Edgar had heard about the reported beauty of Elfrith, mm-hmm. so he sent best mate Ethelwald to go and investigate. Ethelwald falls completely in love with her, marries her, doesn't tell her about Edgar's interest, and tells Edgar that she's not actually very good looking. Ooh, burn. But Edgar hears all about this, goes and pays them a visit, murders Ethelwald, mm. and then marries Elfrith for himself. Only cause of action, I'd say. Mm. Um, so Elfrith has gone from one of the most powerful nobles in the country to marrying the king. Mm. Yeah, step up, yep. Totally step good. up indeed. Is she a gold digger? Is this what we're saying? Well, some might have negative opinions of her, as we shall see. Uh, not least, Edgar's previous wife, Wolfrith. Oh, that's not going to go well. Because she hadn't died. She'd gone instead to a nunnery of uh, Wilton and become the abbess. And her daughter, by Edgar, Edith, becomes a very prominent individual. And Wilfrith's cousin, a woman called Wolfhilda, was the abbess of Barking. Mm -hmm. Dunstan. Oh, here he comes. He also would have considered, and indeed did consider, the marriage to be completely illegitimate. Why? Because Edgar's previous wife, Wolfrith, is still alive. And in Dunstan's eyes... They are therefore married until death. Dunstan was so incensed by legend of that he actually stormed into their bedroom one morning Not after again. their wedding, demanding to know who was in bed with Edgar. And when Edgar told him that it was the Queen, he replied, That is false. Better it were that you were dead than to lie thus in adultery. Your souls will go to torment. Who? Is this guy, and this is the second king, isn't it, that he's yes. gone into the bedroom of? Why has he got an access all areas? I don't know, but he's got that pass. Surely, the, if you're the guard on his door, you say, no, you, I mean, aside from the fact that this fellow's got previous for doing it, you say, no, you're not allowed in. But this is the guy that uh, fought the devil with his tongue, so... Oh. I actually growled then. You did. <laughs> <laughs> But her situation is not completely hopeless, because she has an ally in the form of Bishop Ethelwald, not to be confused with her hus- first husband. Called? Ethelwald. Oh, spelt differently. I've spelt one with an A and one with an O. Okay, so we've Bishop got Wald with an o. and Wald. Yeah, so okay. Bishop Ethelwald. Okay, fine. He, in contrast to Dunstan, mm. is very much pro-Elfrith. And it's actually a bit surprising in a way that Dunstan is so opposed to her, because Elfrith is also very much pro-monastic reform. Is she? She is, and she seems to have been uh, an advocate even before her marriage to Edgar, or at least perhaps at the point at which she was getting towards that. So is she just turning like she knows Edgar loves all that? The way that she acts, the way that she is treated by Bishop Ethelwald, does seem to suggest that she is seen as a legit champion of the church. Right, okay. Consequently, the other most powerful religious man at court is very much on her side. Mm. Um, so she supports the reform movement, develops a very close alliance uh, with Ethelwald, and Ethelwald had been Edgar's tutor 
when he was a young man right. and is another key reformist. So this is an important way for her to be influential and make friends at court. And it seems to be doing a pretty good job because she is evidently a very powerful consort. She starts signing charters from 964, mm-hmm. which as we know, not all queens got to do or no. got to do very often. And she is not just witnessing these charters as the wife of the king. She is witnessing them with her title as Regina. Ah. I queen. It had to happen at some point. Is this the point? Mm. In 966, there's a great dynastic gathering for the refoundation of uh, Newminster. So we had, uh, this is where we had Edgifu, Queen Grandmother, came back to court one last time. Edwig's wife, Elfgifu, got to come back to mm. be kicked off. So it's a very grand occasion. Her son with Edgar is described in this charter as Edmund Etheling, legitimate son of the king. He's placed third on the list behind Edgar and Dunstan. Mm. Of course, but ahead of his older brother Edward. Right, important. So yep. Elfrith has established that her son is higher up the pecking order than Edgar's mm. previous son. That is interesting. Also, still annoyed that Dunstan is second. Yep. But is that. That's just a run of things. He's, he's the main advisor, the most prominent. He's the Archbishop of Canterbury. It's, you know, hard to avoid. Mm so she is obviously more influential than many of her predecessors yeah by far but in 973 it goes on to a completely different level with the regularis concordia Mm. so this is largely the work of bishop ethelwald and it's the definitive publication of how the monastic reform movement sees the church and how the church should operate so all of the things they've been talking about they actually put it down in document and say right this is how we do it from now on these are the rules yeah exactly edgar as king is given formal control over all of the monks mm. but elfrith is named as protectress of the nunneries okay so for the first time ever the queen has a actually specifically defined oh, yeah. role yeah yeah and not only that, in the same year, Edgar held a grand imperial ceremony at Bath where he was crowned. And then that's when he did the rowing where all the other kings of Britain yeah. came along and had to row him along the River Dee. And you can see that on YouTube. But he's not the only one who gets crowned. Elfrith is crowned and anointed Queen of England. There we go. So she's the first. The first confirmed anointed Queen of England. Does she get a hat? Uh, she is depicted with a crown. Wow. That's pretty good Rex facting. It and is very good. What is her name again? Elfrith or Elfrida. Elfrith. But unfortunately, 8th of July, 975, what? Edgar dies. Oh, that's important in this series. Only 30 years old. As we said, the Saxon men don't tend to have particularly oh. long-lasting genes. Um, but as a result, we've seen that, you know, for the Queen, she's actually become incredibly powerful as Queen. Usually we see that they have to rely on their sons and it's as Queen Mother they can have their power. Mm. She's managed it on her own right. Yeah. So now the death of the King here is still an opportunity because she has a son, but equally it's a threat because she had got power already. But this is where she's going to show her mettle. And actually normally in previous episodes where we start to get their story. There is, as ever, a succession battle. Mm. The eldest son of Elfrith and Edgar, the one we mentioned, Edmund Etheling, mm. he died young, sadly. But she does have another son called Ethelred. Right. Now, he's about nine years old when Edgar dies, um, but Elfrith is obviously advancing his claim. Bishop Ethelwald is also supporting 
uh, Ethelred, as is a powerful chap, the Elderman of Mercia, Elf here. So mm. she's got a powerful group at court backing her son to be king. Putting myself in their shoes, it makes sense to back her son, doesn't it? The queen. Yeah. The anointed. Yeah. Mm. All of that's happened. Edgar clearly preferred her. The other two mothers mm. are in nunneries. Mm. We were, last time we were playing up their power, but this woman actually really is, she's the queen. She is. So why would anyone back the other candidate? Well, Edward is the other candidate, and he is older at 13. Mm. Both of them, of course, are young boys yeah. and not yet ready to really rule properly in their own right. But mm. Edward is much closer to that status than Ethelred. Mm. So if you're looking for someone to be king, Edward's much closer to the finished article. Which one does Dunstan support? And Dunstan supports the older one. Oh. Dunstan throws his weight behind Edward. That's uh, I didn't know that the answer to that question. Mm. And I'd, I just went about my reasons why I think you should definitely support the other one. And yeah. surprise, surprise. Dunstan thought Dunstan differently. Different <laughs> and unfortunately for Elfrith, she does not come out the winner. Instead, Edward is crowned king ahead of her son, Ethelred. Oh, oh this is exciting, isn't it? Because I, I can see that she's going to have more... There's more to come. Well, indeed, and the country remains divided. Central authority seems to pretty much break down in many areas. We see nobles attacking religious houses. Why? In the areas of their rivals. So people who are on different sides of this split. Mm. They're attacking their churches, taking the land back. Because a lot of people didn't like the way that Edgar was so pro-monastic reform. It meant a lot of people were having to give land to the church. Really? Uh, so it's a very difficult period for the country. Elfrith seems to have retreated to her family's territory in the southwest, so she takes uh, Ethelred and goes to Corf uh, Castle. Mm, cool. Uh, and the monastic reform movement seems to take a bit of a step back as well. Dunstan is appalled when um, there are the return of secular clerics. Uh-oh. So this is churchmen, ostensibly, but living mm. secular lives, marrying and doing all that sort of stuff that Dunstan has worked so hard mm. to get rid of. So Dunstan called a council meeting to decide on this matter once and for all, and they were on the first floor of a house, but then during their debates, the floor completely collapsed. Everybody falls through, lots of them are terribly maimed, lots of them are actually killed. Well, who was there? Uh, well, Dunstan was there amongst uh, all these others. Yeah. But thankfully, Dunstan was standing on a rafter, and while everybody else fell through, Dunstan <laughs> was Hang saved on. by divine providence. Did he do it? Well, they're people that were on his and Edward's side. So if he did, it would have been an odd move. Uh, unless yeah. that was how he won the debate, by just killing everybody <laughs> else. <laughs> I vote. <laughs> All against. <laughs> nope. Majority of one. Motion carried. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't think that was. But I don't remember that in uh, Con Igledon's book. Must have been there. Yeah, probably. Now then, in 978, so this is three years after Edgar's died, so Edward is now, you know, he's about 15, 16 now, so he's approaching manhood. Um, he was apparently in the area of Corf, so he decided to go and visit Elfrith, or more particularly Ethelred, it's his brother. Oh. Pays him a visit, um, received a glass of wine whilst he was on his horse, only for somebody to come from behind and stab him. Ah, uh, who? His horse bolted. That's a weird name for a boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he fell, and so was dragged along the ground behind his horse, and uh, as Dead. such, died. Dead by poisoning, stabbing, and horse. <laughs> Indeed, yes. And he doesn't just die, but he is also given a very quick and obscure burial. Hmm? 
Perhaps because Elfrith realised that what a scandal this would be and she didn't want any kind of cult to develop around him. Mm. So she thought, if we just get him buried, everyone will forget about him. My son will be king. This is the king we're talking about. This is the king. Her stepson. I've... This is blowing my mind. We've done this before, right? Yes, when we did uh, Edward the Martyr, as he becomes known. Oh, yes. Mm. Yes. Right, okay, on board. So it's a massive scandal, yeah. as you can imagine. Regicide. Mm. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I was too shocked to do the <laughs> yeah. dinging. I was looking at you with my mouth open. Oh. <laughs> Elfrith is hoping that she can just quickly get him buried and then Ethelred will be king and no one will ask any questions. Oh, Richard the um, third mm. job. But that is not what happens. Dunstan was said to have tried to persuade Edith, who is Edgar's daughter by his second wife. The... Oh, yes, the, in the nunnery. In yeah, the nunnery, yeah, asked yeah. her if she would actually become king instead Anything, of Ethelred. Yeah. Um, she refused. But despite Elfrith's hopes, a, a cult does quickly grow up around Edward. Miracles are reported around his obscure birthplace, and he soon is being celebrated as a saint. After some negotiations and a proper burial for Edward at Shaftesbury Abbey, Dunstan does have to agree that Ethelred is the only candidate to be king. Oh, she's... Done him up like a kipper. So despite all of the scandal, she does get her way. Ethelred is crowned king by Dunstan. Yeah. In 979. So Elfrith is back in power. Her son is king, Ethelred, but he is still a child. Mm. How old are we talking? Uh, so we're talking about 12. Okay. And as such, he's not going to be ruling in his own stead. So there is something of a regency. Oh. And basically, Elfrith is pretty much in charge. Brilliant. Um, Elfrith, obviously Ethelwald, Bishop Ethelwald, her ally, and Elf here, the Alderman of Mercy, those three mm. particular allies um, working together, running the country. She's regularly appearing in charters from 979 to 984, where she is listed as the king's mother, directly below the king in mm. the list. Oh, k- kick Dunstan off second. Mm. So actually, what has become of him? Well, Dunstan's still there. I mean, he does speak at the coronation about how El- Ethelred had come to the throne by the sin of thy abandoned mother and her base designs and predicted terrible consequences for England as a result. But ultimately, he just has to go about bishoping. What a party pooper. He said that <laughs> and she was there. Yeah. So he said in front of everyone, mm-hmm. this fella is king because she did the dirty. Mm. And the country will go to rot and ruin as a result. Oh, who brought him along? Let us pray. <laughs> <laughs> now, there is quite an unusually long minority. It lasts until he was about 16 years old, Ethelred, which is beyond the sort of Saxon age majority. So it seems like Elfrith was keeping the reins of power mm. for as long as he possibly could. But Elf here, the Elderman of Mercia, died in 983. Bishop Ethelwold died in 984. Mm-mm. So she's lost a lot of her most powerful allies. And at this point, Ethelred starts to assert himself. He appoints new and younger advisers, and Ethelfled, Ethelfled, Elfrith, disappears from the charter. She is no longer, it seems, attending council meetings or at court. I mean, that's right. That's the run of things. That's like the natural way. Dunstan regains his position as oh. second in the list of charters. Take it back. However, on the 19th of May in 988, sadly, Dunstan dies. Oh! Oh! I thought you were going to say her. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. About I mean, oh seven, 79 years old or so. 79? After, after serving seven monarchs. But we were just talking about Edgar dying at 30. Yes. 
79. Oh, you know, there's something very fishy about all this, Graham. I think, it, I think he, <laughs> he has sold his soul to the devil and he was just had many lives that he met him <laughs> and the devil said i see your tongues <laughs> yeah. let's come to a little agreement <laughs> yeah. you can tell him all you defeated me fine 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 whatever you carry on being a total pun sponge as mm. we all know <laughs> and uh you know happy days that's what happened rex fact mm. put that in your project school children anyway dunstan has sadly uh died but things aren't going great for the country Ethelred goes about restoring royal lands from the monasteries, mm. including Ethelwald Abingdon, which would really have hurt his mother. Right, yeah, okay. And then, much more seriously, in 991, we have the Battle of Molden. The Vikings are back. Uh, how long have they been away? Uh, they've, really, they've not really been a power since the 950s. So in this... Age, that's two generations, really. Battle of Molden uh, saw the Saxons defeated and the first payment of the infamous Dane Guild, where mm. they basically just give the Vikings lots of money to please go away. Mm. In 993, Ethelred spoke of what a loss Bishop Ethelwald was and that his new councillors were not of the same calibre. And that's actually why he's known as Ethelred the Unready. So in the Saxon, the pun isn't that he isn't ready, but unread means ill-advised. Mm. So he's got bad counsellors. They, they they speak their mind in public, these people, don't they? Yeah. But, of course, there is someone who is still around from the Golden Age, as he would now see it. And so, his mother, Elfrith, comes back in 993. Oh. Um, she's witnessing charters again. Lovely. She's lower down the list than she was before. She's after the bishops now, but still, she is there. And also, of course, Dunstan's dead, so... Yeah, who right. cares? Um, and she's immediately head of all of Ethelred's sons. And um, it seems like this is because they are in her household. Right. So she's actually bringing up the sons now. She's actually got that role. That's more normal family life, isn't it? The, the parent gets on with earning the dough by being king, mm. and the grandmother brings up the kids. Yeah, I mean, you might have thought that the mother of the kids might have been... Involved that. somewhere. Ethelred's policy towards the church becomes less hostile, and it's this period Ordulf, her brother, becomes the chief advisor. But she can't last forever. Mm. She witnesses her last charter in 999, mm. and then probably largely retires to Werewell Abbey, and she dies on the 17th of November. 999? We don't know. Again, oh. one of these weird ones where we've got the day and the month but not the year. It's probably sometime between 999 and 1001. But probably before 1001, because that's the year that Ethelred recognises the cult of Edward the Martyr, which he might not have done if his mother was yeah. still alive. So we'll call it a nice round 1000. Okay. It's interesting that the way they miss out the, the what we're discussing as the key date here. Yes. But I suppose for them... They're thinking they're being terribly precise. Yeah, and you're going to celebrate this every year. Yeah, the, you, we're giving you the day and the month. You can do this. The the well, they know what year we're talking about. Come on, put it um, in the calendar. You, yeah, <laughs> so, but it seems I'd be happy with them saying a thousand. Yeah, sometime in the year. Yeah, not seventeenth of November. Definitely, we don't know when. Mm. Weird that. Yeah. Anyway, so comes to an end the very eventful and impressive uh, life and consortship of Elfrith. Yes. So let's see how she does when we review her. Battleliness! But we don't have any evidence of her having a role in military affairs. Hmm. 
But in terms of her having agency, independence, and fighting her own corner... Oh, yeah. First of all, of course, she has to actually become queen. Yeah. By legend, she deliberately sets out to woo and impress Edgar. Oh, that's right. She puts on makeup or something when they heard he's coming, and the, the yeah. bishop told her to get all muddy or something. Mm. She then builds an alliance with Bishop Ethelwald. Mm. So particularly given the limited role for so many consorts, the fact that someone of Dunstan's power and influence hates her mm. and everything she stands for, and yet she's able to attain such a level of power. I mean, she must have, Edgar must have really liked her. But also those alliances and relationship with Ethelwald is obviously crucial. She seems very clever. With the Regularis Concordia, it's the first time we've got a defined political and religious role for a queen mm. in writing as well. Mm. So it's not just that she's got someone at court supporting her. They've actually signed off something that says this is her role mm. as queen. And she is the first of our consorts to definitely be crowned and anointed queen with a proper ceremony, with an ordo, an order of service. Huge step forward for queenship. I just feel like there's a real contradiction with her. All the things that Dunstan doesn't like about her mm. are things that he's been fighting for. In it, that yeah. He wants a more solid relationship between the king and queen. The reform it, role. She was on that side of the argument. Yeah. and it, But I think feel like Dunstan, when he's seen what can happen oh no no i meant didn't mean for this <laughs> yeah I meant for some good boring men yes. mm. in the regularis concordia she is given formal uh oversight of nunneries mm. now we saw with edgifu how monastic reform is an opportunity for female influence with patronage and mm. people at court but this is a whole new level she's actually effectively ceo of the nunneries yeah she had to work hard to win recognition for her son, Ethelred, in the succession battle. There's something of a propaganda war with Wolfrith, so it's likely that Elfrith was behind stories about Wolfrith being a nun mm. before the marriage mm. and thus right. illegitimacy around Edgar's previous children. When Edgar was dead, she had to see off Edward, mm. perhaps literally. <laughs> yeah, battliness. Mm. Uh, and had the threat, of course, of Edith, the other daughter, and Dunstan. Mm. But her son gets to be king, um, and she becomes regent for you know, oh, five yeah. years. She's basically running the country. She is queening. It's brilliant. The only thing against her is that Edward the Martyr did become king ahead of Ethelred. So a non-queen consort, who may not even have been alive, her son was ultimately the one that initially succeeded Edgar rather than Elfrith's. Yeah, that I, but I think that's what makes the... Impressive, all the more impressive. Mm. She won the war, even if she lost that initial battle. Yeah. yeah. And as I said, once Ethelred took the ma his majority in 984, she was kicked out for a while. Mm, that's all right. And indeed, she does come back. Yeah. Yeah, she comes. She comes back. She does keep coming back. Mm. It's very good. I, I, the trouble I'm have, I have here mm. is that aside from uh, what's the name? Um, Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians. Yeah. Who did the actual battling? I can't see it being anything other than a, a really high, mm. possibly perfect ten. But we have had someone who was battly. I suppose what we will have with some of the medieval ones is that we do have consorts that are seen as having a more of a, if not a role as a general or a soldier, that they are in effect in control of a f a force or a side. Yeah. So we think to when we get to Eleanor of Aquitaine or. Margaret of Anjou in the Wars of the Roses. Mm. So they are probably, to a certain extent, giving orders generals of, down yeah. towards the generals. Elfrith's 
power and agency is all very impressive, but perhaps it's largely personal. Mm. There are going to be a lot of consorts who don't have any battliness, mm. battliness, sword and shield battliness. And I think she gets she gets her way. Oh, yeah, absolutely, she absolutely and gets her, she get her way. way mm. She she's the first queen of England. Yeah. At a time when Dunstan didn't want <laughs> didn't her want to be on the throne. Yeah. And <laughs> didn't really want any queen, let alone this one. <laughs> yeah. And she actually makes the idea of a queen a reality. Mm. I can't do anything but a 10 on that basis Ooh, alone. big scoring. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go lower. If I'm leaving room for something that is a bit more battle Do you not think, though, that if there was a battle to be had, she would have been doing... Doing that when she well, was well, yes, but uh, I'm sure we all recall the criticism of Edgar the Peaceable from a certain Mr. A. Hood. What was that? <laughs> that although Edgar was impressive in that he didn't have to fight anybody because he was so powerful that no one would attack him, nevertheless, he didn't go off and find someone to attack. That's a strange argument. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who that fellow is. But, uh, all right, well, I'll take it down a notch. I think yeah, well, you don't excited. have to. No, just, um, I think I, I'm beginning to take your point. To a nine. Ooh. I'm going to still go with an eight. I still think it's very good. Yeah. I'm just leaving a bit of wiggle room for yeah. later ones. Okay. So an eight from me, a nine from you, that's 17 for battliness. By coming down one, that uh, means that she's in second rather than just oh, first. Oh, you're kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, drat. Okay, fine. Can't do it based on another one. Scandal. So it's a good start. Mm. The death of her first husband, Ethelwald. Yes. Story is that Ethelwald was sent by Edgar to find out if Elfrith was truly as beautiful as everybody said she was. Yeah. And if she was, then he should propose on Edgar's behalf. Ah. Uh, she was as beautiful as reported. Yes. And he did propose. Yes. But on his own behalf. Good idea. Rather than Edgar's. He reports back to Edgar that Elfrith was not so fair. And he also doesn't uh, trouble himself with informing Elfrith or her father about the true purpose of his visit. Mm. So she didn't realise that she could have been the queen. Now Edgar has some suspicions mm. about all of this. And he perhaps hears some other people that actually maybe you want to have a look yourself. Mm. So he announces that he's going to come and pay them a lovely visit. Mm. This is, of course, the rather bad news for Ethelwald, hmm. as William of Malmesbury relates. Terrified almost to death, he hastened before to his wife, entreating that she would administer to his safety by attiring herself as unbecomingly as possible. But what did not this woman dare? She was hardy enough to deceive the confidence of her first lover, her first husband, to call up every charm by art and to omit nothing which could stimulate the desire of a young and powerful man. Edgar fell so desperately in love with her the moment he saw her, that, dissembling his indignation, he sent for the earl into a wood at Warwell, called Harewood, under pretense of hunting, and ran him through with a javelin. Yeah, he must have known he wasn't going hunting. Mm. The biggie. Yeah. Even bigger. Mm. Edward the Martyr. So this is when she'd failed to have her son, Ethelred, recognised as successor to Edgar. The country fell into disorder. She went off to Corf. Edward decided to pay her and his brother a visit. William of Malmesbury, of course, provides a bit more colour. Good. The woman, however, with that hatred which a stepmother could only can entertain, began to meditate a subtle stratagem and lay a treacherous snare for her son-in-law. On his arrival... Alluring him to her with female blandishment. <laughs> I've never heard that. 
She made him lean forward, and after saluting him while he was eagerly drinking from the cup which had been presented, the dagger of an attendant pierced him through. Dreadfully wounded, with all his remaining strength, he clapped spurs to his horse to join his companions. When, one foot slipping, he was dragged by the other through the trackless paths and recesses of the wood, while the streaming blood gave evidence of his death. Oh, goodness. Henry of Huntington takes it one step further. It is reported that his stepmother stabbed him with a dagger while she was in the act of offering him a cup to drink. Oh, I see. William doesn't actually say that she was holding it. Mm. I assumed she was. And maybe the only one who could actually get really close. close like mm. as in, in a goodbye type situation. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a permanent goodbye. I um. I mean, that's not the end of the scandal. That's no, no, bad. But I think it is her that did it. Killing the son. A stepson. Not the, the son, king. though. It's the king. The king. It's regicide. It is regicide. By her own hand, potentially. What was perhaps even worse for many people at the time is that when the body was found, she didn't want it to fall into the hands of Dunstan and her enemies, mm. so she had him hastily buried at Wareham with no ceremony or honour. Mm. Just quickly dug... Just the child. king. <laughs> the and king. that is definitely her. And that's almost as shocking for people as the murder itself. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle said, No worse deed for the English race was done than this since they first sought out the land of Britain. That's a bit hard. Of course, she attempted to suppress his memory, but was unsuccessful, so she finally agreed to give him proper burial at Shaftesbury. But apparently when she was going to travel to this grand ceremony for the reburial, her horse refused to take her. Miracle. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And there's also a story that uh, Ethelred, the, her son, the younger brother, was upset when he heard that his brother had died mm. um, and rushed to his, mother's in, his mother in tears, but she beat him with a candlestick, leading to him having a lifelong fear of candles. <laughs> Why did she do that? <laughs> Why did she start hitting him with a candle? Oh, candlestick. Yes. Oh, that's worse. Mm. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, I think I liked her before. Mm. Now she's just assaulting him. There's another story about the Abbot of Ely. Yeah. The Abbot of Ely was riding to court one day. Mm. Uh, is this is a joke. No, well, <laughs> well. Uh, he was forced to stop to answer a uh, call of nature. Yeah. And when he stopped, he happened to see Elfrith take a magic potion and transformed herself into a horse. As the Liber Eliensis said, so that she might satisfy the unrestrainable excess of her burning lust running and leaping hither and thither with horses, and showing herself shamelessly to them, regardless of the fear of God and the honour of the royal dignity. He does know that horses are already naked, showing herself. Mm. <laughs> it's not like the horse lifted a skirt. <laughs> that, that, they are naked. Mm. And uh, when Elfrith comes to court, and he's there as well, she sends for him, tried to seduce him so that he wouldn't reveal the truth, and then when he tried to escape after refusing, she summoned her women to take him prisoner, and they heated tongs and pressed them into his bowels. How much of that do we think might, ooh, do we think might be true? Well, um, the Abbot of Ely is patently absurd, this yeah. whole story, not least because he didn't actually die until many years later. Oh, right. Okay. I mean, the story itself is... Crackers. There's no evidence at all for the candle story, and again, that's complete nonsense, because the suggestion is that if he has got a lifelong fear of candles, that Ethelred spent a lot of time in pitch darkness. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. For Ethelwald, 
The accounts all suggest that Edgar was already king before her first marriage, but this doesn't actually seem to be true. Ethelwald died in 962, but she only marries Edgar in about 964. Yeah, and they're not terribly accurate dates, are they? If Even if Edgar wasn't yet king, he was still the chap much more powerful than this other fellow. Mm. So it still could have mm. worked. And Edward the Martyr, the only evidence for her being involved in the death of her stepson is circumstantial in the location, the fact that he goes to Corfe. Mm. The place the king is most likely to get murdered. Yes. He is murdered at. Yes. Mm. A key thing to consider, of course, is politics. All of the early sources for her actually are quite favourable, and they do tend to blame the death on it for Edward on those around her, like Elphir. Mm. But when Ethelred dies, this allows her to become a beacon for all sorts of tall tales, particularly mm. given mm. some of the circumstances. So with Edward the Martyr, a notable text was The Passion of Edward the Martyr, which depicts her as an evil stepmother. Yeah, it's easy, that, that one to fulfil, yeah. Probably written during the reign of Canute in a bid to undermine the regime that he was replacing i.e. Ethelred Mm. but also he doesn't want to criticise Ethelred at the time that Ethelred was married to Canute's wife Emma because there's an overlap is there really? they both marry Emma so he has to go a bit earlier and thus targets the mother oh right Mm. Ethelred himself of course ends up having quite a disastrous reign being conquered by the Vikings so his failure as a king means that she is damned by association yeah Um, and of course Dunstan of course, her bet noir in life biographies of him cast him as a saintly hero. We saw how with Edgar Fu that we sometimes have good women mm. who are supporting the saint, but we also need to have Jezebels that the saints fight against. And Elfrith personifies. It's Jezebel. funny that the um, saints are always the ones that he agree uh, agree with him rather. Mm. <laughs> the yes. baddies are always the ones that he doesn't like. Yes. But of course there's a lot of gender bias going on as well. Scandalous legends presenting her as a wicked stepmother, something of a proto-Disney yeah. figure. Seductress, bad mother, a witch. All common tropes for women of power. Murderer. Mm. And a lot of these tall tales come from the Norman period where we have seen an increase in misogynistic attitudes among chroniclers. Pauline Stafford, the historian, wrote that they were no longer engaging in terms of Elthra with a real woman, but a convenient vessel into which to pour those feminine vices required by yeah. their story. The emphasis on sexual power, seduction and witchcraft results from that dehistoricizing process as much as from the developing misogyny of the 12th century. Yeah, A lot of the reasons that we've got all these negative stories about her are because of nunneries. As head of the nunneries, she's got lots of power and influence, but not all of the houses welcome her influence. Some of them wanted to retain their own independence, so they didn't really want anybody to be yeah. over them. Oh, of course, yeah, she was there, yeah. So embarking the life of Wolf Hilda, the cousin of the previous uh, consort, is biased against her because Elfrith removes Wolf Hilda as abbess. Mm. Wilton is also responsible for propaganda against her, and of course that is home to Wolfrith, the previous consort, Elfrith's rival, as well as Edith, Wolfrith's daughter. Right. Shaftesbury is one of the oldest royal nunneries uh, in the country. It becomes a resting place for Edward the Martyr. Mm. And it's likely that Dunstan would have chosen Shaftesbury for his burial because he knew it was a place that was not sympathetic towards Elfrith. But it's this irony that, you know, as we're obviously talking a lot here about sexism and the male attitudes to powerful yeah. women and that sort of stuff. But ironically, a lot of the legends that have besmirched her memory come from women and nunneries. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But also, obviously, Dunstan. Oh, so were we saying that none of this is true? Well, that's the difficult... I mean, the biggie 
the regicide of Edward the Martyr mm. is the one that even sympathetic historians say... She would have been involved in any plot like that, surely. Like, the fact that it happened there, the fact that she is essentially the main person to gain. Mm, so, at the very least, we've got regicide. Yeah. I mean, I um, I thought we were just quibbling over whether she she actually thrust the blade. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> really, we could definitely say regicide. We yeah. can just put that to bed. Yeah. Um, regicide, come on. I'm, I was thinking about the stuff all around that that we're used to, the sort of sex side of things. Yeah. Regicide. Mm. So, okay, I'm pushing a nine. How can you get bigger than this? When we think about how much scandal we've given to a king that murdered an archbishop, this is a queen murdering a king. But I, I want to sort of look at it like, right, regicide, you put that to bed, and then you look at the other stuff, and the doubts around the other stuff make you start to sort of dilute the power of that regicide bit. Mm. I'm going nine. I think I'm going nine as well. You know, what? what's a ten in this scenario? Maybe mm. maybe more reliable sources. I think maybe it's a problem with the Saxons that it feels so long ago that either the Saxon writers or indeed the mm. Normans later just think, well, we could just make it up. Whatever sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas we maybe a word limit for our publisher to hear. <laughs> yeah. I think there are, there's some in mind I'm thinking that maybe we'll go a little bit further which is why I'm not giving out the 10. Okay. But still... I'm in a generous mood today. Nine. 18 for Scandal, which is the best so far. That's ahead of Elf Gifu, the mm. Coronation Threesome. Yeah, quite right. Mm. Even though you gave that a 10 and this a 9. <laughs> Did I really? <laughs> oh, dear. Subjectivity. I think this may be where she falls down. Well, I'm going to surprise you, Ali. We've got oh, a lot gosh, to I'm go on here as well. Oh. Don't worry, though, I'm not jumping straight into the church. Good. We're going instead to the law. Oh, second favourite. Edgar changes the approach to dispute resolution. But that Saxons. is about <laughs> the most dull thing you've ever said on this podcast. A much more formalised process <laughs> combined with royal oversight. So he's going beyond just keeping the peace, which is what his predecessors did, and it's actually a much more kind of rigorous okay. organised yeah. system. Now, women in the Saxon period are largely dependent on male advocates, protectors, mm. for specker. Elfrith mm. is the sole example of a female advocate. Wow. Her status as queen, combined with her dynastic links and being protectors of nunneries, makes her well-placed for mediations between all the sorts of people that have land yeah. disputes. Yeah. So there are seven surviving lawsuits which show her participation, mm. uh, plus her intervention as an advocate in three land transactions. Six out of the seven cases are on behalf of female litigants. Mm. So again, that's her role as a queen, as the protectors of the nunneries, mm. means that she is being brought into those sorts of cases. Now, one notable one was for Taunton, where she uh, advocated on behalf of tenants of her ally, Bishop Ethelwald. Mm -hmm. So this is a chap called Leofric and uh, Wolfgith. And mm. Wolfgith seems to have been related to her in some way. Mm. So Ethelwald had petitioned Edgar to return estates that had previously belonged to his see of Winchester, because mm. he'd become the Bishop of Winchester. But Elfrith secured an agreement that the tenants could retain their lands for the rest of their lifetime, but then it would go to Winchester after they died. Right. However, the heirs of Leofric and Wolfgith claimed in 995 she'd used undue influence to settle um, 
because of her friendship with the bishop. Mm. So in 995, she responds to the claim or the accusation, meaning that we actually get to hear her in her own legal wow. words. Brilliant. I bear witness that Archbishop Dunstan assigned Taunton to Bishop Ethelwald in conformity with the bishop's charters. And King Edgar then relinquished it and commanded every one of his thanes who had any land on the estate that they should hold it in conformity with the bishop's wishes or else give it up. And then Wolfgift rode to me at Coombe and sought me. And I then, because she was my kinswoman, obtained from Bishop Ethelwald that they might enjoy the land for their lifetime and after their deaths the land should go to Taunton, just as it stood. And with great difficulty we too brought matters to this conclusion. Now I have been told that Bishop Ethelwald and I must have obtained the title deed by force. Now I, who am alive, am not aware of any force of any more than he would be if he were still alive. She stresses the accusation is also against Bishop Ethelwald, who is now dead and much revered. Mm. She defends his memory, which is quite sweet. And she notes that she is the only person still alive involved in this dispute. I, she's the only uh, one. Oh, when it originally occurred. Yeah. And also, I quite like the fact that she basically suggested that it all was started off by Dunstan. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe it's, it is something quite deep, this dislike of Dunstan. That <laughs> completely, uh, I didn't set out to really, really like this person. Mm. But I really do. And she really hates Dunstan too. Yes. Mm. Anyway, let's get back to the church. Yes, let's please cough. Woo. Regularis Concordia. Ah, uh, yes, second favourite Concordia, yeah. Mm. This uh, was where we've got the monastic reform movement. It's been growing for about 50 years, pushing for stricter religious observance and more centralisation. Um, now, Edgar organised the Winchester Synod, which was seeking to remove all of the grey areas in religion and define how the church should be organised, how monks and nuns should or shouldn't live their lives. Mm. So Edgar summons all the leading nobles and churchmen to have this document uh, accepted. Dunstan advances it at court, but it's largely drafted by Bishop Ethelwald. Mm. Edgar, as king, is given control over the monks of England to ensure they don't fall under the control of secular lords. Right. So, in effect, it's king as pseudo head or protector of the church. Protector of the faith business. Mm. But Edgar is not going to have control of the nunneries. Edgar most wisely ordered that his queen, Elfrith, should be the protectress and fearless guardian of the monasteries female monasteries so that he himself helping the men and his consort helping the women there should be no cause for any breath of scandal mm. um as a more gendered approach i segregation between men and women um but that means that she's got great influence because she is the guardian of female spaces yeah and like a uh a, a sp oh, i imagine these days you call her like a spokeswoman for women's issues or whatever mm. which is all the more surprising that they then stab her in the back well it's not all of the women and no, it's not all of the nunneries that don't like her it's just the ones that have got a specific beef but that does tie in with the legal advocacy because she's part of the royal court mm. she's also part of the nunneries she's it goes hand in hand doesn't it yeah um, it's also in interesting the fact that they've thought that perhaps Edgar wasn't the best person to be in charge <laughs> of the Yeah. Someone needs to be in charge of nuns. Now, I've got a very good idea, and his <laughs> wife pops up saying, I'll have that one, thank you, Edgar. <laughs> uh, so this document effectively now sets the Queen apart for the first time from other lay women. Mm -hmm. She's not just the King's wife. She's not just the most powerful non-religious woman. 
she is a queen. She has a role that is specifically... Anointed by God. Exactly. It's above everybody else. And it is now the female equivalent of the king. Yes. The alliance with Ethelwald is key here because we've got unprecedented focus on queenship in this document. Mm. And that's clearly not Dunstan's policy. No. But those links and those alliances that she was building from the start Mm. all leads to this, all really pays off. So she is completely redefining queenship. We've got the legal advocacy with a practical role for the queen in law, combining with the arts of Mm. patronage and all that sort of thing. So the queen is now seen as a figure who can mediate between secular religion and royal. Yeah. We've got the regularis concordia, which is not just a religious patron, but an actual role based on her status as queen. Mm. And, of course, it finishes with the apex of Anglo-Saxon queenship, where she is crowned and anointed queen. Her predecessors weren't even called queen. Are they queen from this point on? Um, it varies a little bit, but it's mm. that's sort of becoming okay. the thing. Um, we have an account of this written in a chap called Gaimar. What shall I say of her attire? She had a ring on her finger. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I found that so funny. <laughs> which was worth more alone than all her dress. She wore a cape of black silk, which trailed along the hall. Over this she wore a mantle, within grey fur, without blue. Of other stuff was her robe. She was very fair. That is a perfect example of a bloke describing um, a wedding. Yes. <laughs> uh, frequently, I go to weddings and come back and someone says, "What was the bride wearing?" Whoa, <laughs> bit, bit black on the bit blue. She was very, she's very, it was very nice. What is contemporary, however, is the order, which is sort of an order of service, which describes oh, right. how it all. Well, not an order of service, a description of how the ceremony is meant to go. Mm. And it says, "The king's coronation ends, which the queen's consecration follows." For her honour, the oil of sacred unction is to be poured by the bishop on the crown of her head, as is shown on the following page. In church, and in the presence of the great men, she is blessed, and consecrated to consortship of the royal bed, with honour fitting to high royal status. And we also decree that she be adorned with a ring for the integrity of the faith, and with a crown for the glory of eternity. Mm. It all seems... No, normal. It all <laughs> seems pretty sort of standard queen stuff now. Mm, but that is not what we have had. No. Um, interesting influence. The year before this, in 972, Princess Theophano was crowned Holy Roman Empress following her marriage to Otto II. And the Archbishop of York, Oswald, was present at the uh, ceremony to receive his pallium as a new archbishop. So it's perhaps interesting that Edgar, in 973, he's got these imperial ambitions where he has all the kings rowing him and stuff. Mm. They're saying, right, we need to make this as imperial as possible. Oh. Oswald oh. comes back and says, you guys got to know what I just saw in Rome. Yeah. This is what imperial... It's like a fashion. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can totally see that. And so it's such a, a change and reversal. from It's almost, almost exactly 100 years since Elswith, our first consort who mm. wasn't even mentioned in Alfred's sources because yeah. there's such a hang-up about queens. Yeah. hundred years later, now the queen is seen as defining. The, so this season must have mm. women. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's quite a lot of impressive stuff. Very. Negatives. Mm. It's really 
after Edgar dies, the succession battle, it's something of an unstable situation. The country mm. descends into a near lawless state. Edgar had been strong and powerful king, but now we've got a teenage ruler with half the nobles and bishops against him. The church really suffers in this period, undermines the great ambitions of the Regularis Concordia, mm. where we're now seeing lands being attacked, lands taken back by the lords away from the church. Her personal battles with Wolfrith and Wolfhilda seem personal rather than protecting the nunneries. And of course, the shocking climax to all of this instability is regicide. Yeah. So once Edgar dies, she does have a an element of personal responsibility for things not running smoothly. But if she were not there... Mm. Oh, you just had Dunstan taking over, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, and regicide isn't good. It's not the best. But... <laughs> but... All that other stuff. It's amazing. I mean, it's easily... I mean, it is now... That is queenship, as we would sort of recognise it now. It's the beginning. It's happened. We've got a fully crowned and anointed queen. That's stuff, though, that would be really impressive for a king of the time. Mm. That actually, when you talk about the instability, it almost feels like we're scratching around for something bad. It's actually only a few quite, years, and then she takes over, and it's... It's all all right again. Mm. But I can't see beyond a nine. She develops the idea of being a queen. It's like all the other ones that may do incredible queen-ing, mm. they can all look back to her, and she's the one saying, there you are, be a queen, you're welcome. Mm. She she does it. I suppose we don't have suggestions of her, I don't know, commissioning arts or that sort of... She's got too much on, Graham. But she might have done that and it just gets forgotten. It's yeah. a long time ago. They probably didn't bother to write it down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hitler was a dab hand at painting. <laughs> that doesn't get mentioned. Subjectivity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why I'm sort of going a bit lower. I guess it's the trick because I suppose what I'm wondering is whether how much it's fully subjectivity and how much it's almost slightly outside of a factor and just Rex factor. Oh, I see what you mean. But, you know, it is a legacy for, for queenship Actually, and that sort of thing. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. That that her bequeathing the idea of her, a queen hmm. to the rest of history, to all the people that come after her, hmm. isn't actually subjectivity. You're right, it's Rex Factorness. It's the most Rex Factory thing. It's coming up with the idea of a hmm. Rex, a hmm. female Rex. Well, I'm sticking... Oh, no, I'm not. I'm coming down again. Oh, I'm sorry. I just feel like I'm bringing you down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably that, that is that is how our roles play out, though, Graham. <laughs> you don't bring me down. You just come on, Ali. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll go with an eight. I think you're right. I'll mm. go with an eight. Yeah, I think an eight as well. I think it's it, again. It's, I think there'll be some that will do more for the common person subjectivity yeah. things, mm. but still excellent work for Alfred. Sixteen mm. for subjectivity. Longevity. She is queen. Yeah. From 964 to the 8th of July 975, we'll call that around 11 years, mm. and she is then Queen Mother mm. from the 18th of March 978 to the 17th of November, we're saying 1,000, which is 22.67 wow. years. Wow. Now, the time as Queen Mother, mm. we halve that for longevity, yep. so 22.67 divided by 2. Hang on. No, I don't know. 11. Is 11.34. So 11 plus 11.34. 22.34. Which gives her a score of 14.5 out of 20. Wow. Which is uh, 16th overall. That's not bad. Dynasty, not the program. So she has one surviving child. 
Did she have more that died? Uh, so there was an older child, Edmund. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. That died. Um, but still, one child that survived, Sir Ethelred the Unready, who became king. That gives her a score of 7.5 out of 20, which is joint 32nd. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of those. That gives her a very impressive total score of 73. Wow. Previous best total in this series was Ethelred Lady the Mercens was 52.5. Elthrith, 73. Maybe she a factor is of 50. Uh, twice as good. She's scoring in every category pretty well there. Wow. But that's not everything, Graham. It's not everything. Because we've got to decide, does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, that great achievement, that star quality that we call... Rex Factor! She's got the high score. Does she have the Rex Factor? High scores aren't everything. They're not everything. Um, so, objectively, mm. yes. I mean, it's very hard to think of an argument why she yeah. wouldn't do. She's the first crowned and anointed queen. And she seems to bring the whole story of the consorts full circle. As I said, it's 100 years ago and Elswith was only Lady the English, not mm. even mentioned during Alfred's reign. But here we have Elfrith crowned and anointed queen. Mm. Elfred was sent off to a nunnery by Edward the Elder and failed to have her son crowned king. Elfrith is head of the nunneries mm. and gets her son on the throne. Edgar Fu showed the way to greater influence via monastic reform and patronage and the power available as Queen Mother, but Elfrith takes that to a whole new level with the Regularis Concordia, mm. and she isn't just an advisor as Queen Mother, she's regent. Ethelfled of Dameron knew almost nothing other than that she got to be rich and inherit lands in a will, so we saw the legal rights women had, while Elfrith is actually the lawyer oh, yeah. helping resolve legal disputes. Even Elfgafu slandered by Dunstan for being, oh, a, threesome, yeah. for being a powerful and rival woman. Elfrith also has been slandered by Dunstan, yeah. but she comes out the winner. She's got it all, hasn't she? She's got it all. The whole story really comes together. It's brilliant. Mm. It's really, really good. And in 100 years, mm. to a queen. Yeah. Incredible. It's like the, it's the sort of rate of social change of the 20th century. Yeah. From women not having the vote to a prime minister. Yeah. And if she represents all that, mm. she's got to have it. Yeah, I mean, obviously some of these things, we've seen examples of the other consorts finding little niches and things that they can do. So it's not like she's come, they've been doing nothing and then suddenly, push. Yeah. But... She's taken it to a completely different level. Mm. And she's so... Like, basically, it's almost sort of 40 years in power. We say how Dunstan's around for a long time. But she's around from, you know, 964, marrying Edgar, to dying in 1000. Yeah. And I tell you what, aside from all that, she provides the perfect counterbalance to Dunstan. She all does. that time, we are talking about Dunstan, there had to be something, <laughs> to, you know, for every yin, there's a yang. <laughs> yeah. And uh, no wonder I loved... Uh, Yang. <laughs> <laughs> when that. <laughs> um, oh dear. Yeah, I was always going to love her, wasn't I? Mm. So that's a yes from you. Yep. And it's a yes from me. Elfrith has the Rex Factor. Whee! Congratulations, Elfrith. You join Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians, and Edgafu as a Rex Factor winning consort. Brilliant. So, let us know what you think about Elfrith. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at RexFactorPod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page. Email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. Go on to uh, RexFactor.wordpress.com to read the blogs and complete the polls about who you mm -hmm. think do, uh, does or doesn't deserve the Rex Factor. And of course, remember to send in your hashtag consult card with an episode image for Elfrith. 
Yeah. If you'd like to uh, support the podcast, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you use, and subscribe. If you would like to join the Privy Council, donate to us on a monthly basis. You get bonus content like the Privy Chamber podcast that we Mm -hmm. do after each of these main podcasts. And depending on the level you donate, you may also get access to the special episodes, mugs and Mm T-shirts. And we have some new Privy Councillors to welcome. Oh, good. Maya Grantier. Hello. Louise Brimicom. Mm -hmm. Megan Holtzfart. Hello. H. Cahill. And The Nell 87. Hello, the Nell 87. So, thank you very much to all of those uh, people. That is it for Elfsmith, who has the Rex Factor. Next time, we'll be doing Elf Gifu of York, mm. who is the consort to uh, Ethelred the Unready, so yeah. the daughter in law of Elfrith. Oh, of course. Anyway, we'll see you next time. Cheerio. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.